Well, 12 personnel has been the most efficient grouping to pass out of for years now. I mean, it, 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 if you look, look at the expected points added, the yards per attempt, the success rates, 12 personnel does that. Why? Because it forces the defense to get into, uh, put their personnel on to match you. And so, you know, well, if they're going to keep, they're going to keep their nickel on, they're going to put their dime on, like, how are they going to defend your 12 personnel? And so you can see that ahead of time. Now, what Brady did really good when he got these different, uh, defenses to go up against him in 12 personnel is you can read those things pre-snap. You can motion a guy pre-snap. You can identify where their weak points are pre-snap. So Cam is going to have to, it's good that this is year two with Josh McDaniels. He's going to have to identify some of this stuff pre-snap to be able to decide where he's going to go with the ball sometimes before the ball's even snapped. We have a huge NFL free agency podcast for you today. Three reporters all over the news and what these signings mean, things we like, things we don't like. A huge announcement at the end before Life Advice, and we'll do a little hoops at the top. It's the Ryan Russillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA final starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older. 18 plus in DC and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler or visit rg help.com. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday. I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side by side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. Hey, we're going to Warren Sharp, Tom Curran, and Diana Rossini all joining the podcast today. So, we have you covered on free agency. So, I just want to do a huge free agency pod, um, like I said at the very beginning. A couple of minutes, though, on the NBA. We're not going to call this NBA 10 minutes or less because it's just going to be way under. Kyle, we had some people check in. They actually love the creative struggle that we have on the titling. People offer up some stuff. I would say a lot of you guys struggle as much as we do with it. Um, but that's kind of the point now. I think just keep changing it all the time and maybe something will stick. Some things work and some things don't. You got to be malleable. So I don't know where you're at with it. What's the feedback been on some of the focus groups that the ringer has launched on this? Well, I think it's great because that just means the chances of piss break coming up for one episode is just, <laughs> it just gets, yeah. gets greater. Yeah. So piss it's still break. in the mix. That's right. The chances improve every, every month or so that we do this. A uh, couple couple things from last night, and there's there's a couple stronger thoughts and there's some weaker thoughts. Let me start with the weaker ones. Jazz end up beating the Celtics. Um, Celtics had an early lead, whatever. You know, whenever anybody does the 
Well, they, they had an 11 point lead in the second quarter. It doesn't matter. Like everybody makes a run. Everyone makes a run. So the Jazz are the better basketball team. They're the deeper basketball team. The Celtics are struggling to probably say, who are your six guys that are really good? Smart is back. He's not ready yet, um, or at least ready to be this, the best version that we've seen from Smart. And really, it was another one of those games where it's Tatum and Brown doing their own thing and putting up big, big numbers, but there's no connectivity to it. Uh, when the Celtics got back into it, it was close going into the fourth quarter. Right away, Celtics are down like 11. Gobert comes out at the seven-minute mark, comes back into the five-minute mark. In that time, I think the Celtics made up about eight points because then they started attacking. A bunch of the Celtics didn't get the memo on the attacking of Gobert as you got to get him as far away from the hoop as possible and then figure out what you want to do after that. There were too many times Celtics players were challenging Gobert right at the rim, and it's just it's it's not just bad; it's embarrassing. Uh, Mitchell was tracking that again. He hit two huge shots, but he I think had six possessions where he was making the final decision on it in a row during those crunch time moments. So that even though it felt like it was it was a possession game, I think on on one or two of the smart threes that he missed. There's there's a bigger thing here with Boston. I'm not even sure that this is right, okay? But I've long said that you need somebody that's a little loose on the team, meaning like he actually may punch somebody. Now, nobody does it to anybody, and I'm not saying that I want fights, but I think it's always important to have somebody that's a bit of a loose cannon on your team that really is, is a tough guy or that's going to get mad or maybe even irrationally mad. Now, I don't love constant complaining in the NBA, but I'm, I'm telling you, just somebody with a bit of an edge it's not Rick Mahorn, but maybe, you know, it's not Matt Barnes will kill you t-shirt that I have, but maybe, you know, Ron Artest, the Lakers was probably good because I think sometimes too, Ron Artest understands, Hey, I can only be a guy that can do so many things here where if I go somewhere else, I can do whatever I want. Rodman with the bulls was the same deal. Not saying every team has it. You know, LeBron is a different factor altogether because when you're with LeBron, you're basically just just moving yourself towards what LeBron's center is. And, and by the way, it's all worked out for the most part. So you can't really criticize it. Um, even if other stars are like, I don't want to be in his shadow the entire time, but the LeBron approach works. But the Celtics, I don't know if this is fair or not, but I feel like there's a toughness thing there that just isn't there with them. Um, it'd be nice if they played together all the time, but they don't. We know they've had 17 starting lineups at a point this season. That's fourth most. But the more I watch them, I'll see them go through some bad stretches against teams that, you know, they're 20 and 19. They should probably be a better game, a few games better than that, considering the roster. But I don't even know if this is true. I just think that they're soft. I think they're kind of a soft team. And there's an example I'm going to use. When they lost to the Nets, Harden drove at Tice. Tice doesn't get a call to save his life, and he gets blamed for every foul. Um, he's, he's usually in pretty good position, and by being in good position. It initiates contact by the offensive player and he ends up getting a foul all the time. You wouldn't understand it unless you watch the Celtics all the time, but um, I'm not a big complainer guy about fouls and all that kind of stuff, but Tice gets Tice gets called for, for stuff that's incredibly frustrating. Harden drove at him and stuck his elbow like right in his, right in his stuff, all right? Gut, lower area, got him really good and good for Harden. You know, Harden initiates the contact, gets the separation, no one ever fucking calls it. So Tice ends up in a heap on the baseline while the Celtics are trying to inbound the ball after a make. And Tice is hurting. And the ref looks at him with, like, disdain. And Tice is looking back at him like, hey, can, can we get a, a second here? Like, I'm hurting. And the ref doesn't even want to stop the game. I couldn't believe it. And the guy's waiting to inbound, looking at the ref. Tice is looking up, being like, can I get a moment here? Like, I'm down. 
And then Tice is like wheezing over. And then Tice realized the ref isn't even going to do anything because I guess that was the day the refs were worried the game was going to be too long. And Tice gets up, but he's kind of like dealing as he's he's belaboring back down the court trying to get himself right. And I'm not even blaming Harden. I'm, you know, look, Harden, do whatever he wants. It works. But it was it just stuck out to me that if I were Tice, I'd be like, how could you not be mad the rest of the game? This guy hit you, knocked you down. He scored. You ended up on the ground. You looked at the ref. The ref looked back at you like, get up. And that was it. And then you guys lost to another good team. Celts are 0-4 against the Sixers and Nets combined. They're not better than the Jazz. The Jazz are a much better basketball team than them. So them losing at home and being competitive. But there feels like, and I don't know if Celtics fans agree or not, there feels like a softness to this team that's getting a little old. Topic number two, that Pelicans loss was brutal. For those of you that may have gone to bed, um, Dame does it again. Dame is putting together a clutch resume this season that is incredible. All sorts of big threes. And Portland, when it's bad, their defense is so bad that you're just going, all right, what the hell is this? Um, the Zion part of this, I think right now Zion's the guy I like watching the most. I think Zion's the most fun to watch in the NBA right now. Not saying he's the best, but you can see that if you want to clamp down on him defensively, there's a different level of what you're going to face in the regular season, what you're going to face in the playoffs. I do think there's some Giannis similarities in that if you want to figure out how to how to build this wall against Zion, you can do it where he becomes a little predictable and one-dimensional offensively. At least in the regular season, I don't care because nobody's going to do it enough. No one's going to be locked in enough throughout an entire regular season game right now with this kind of season to make sure they're constantly following their wall rules against somebody like Zion because Zion just gets right by everybody. But I think part of that was Portland locking in a little bit. But there's also something else that's been going on with the Pelicans for a long time. Pelicans fans get this. There's an obsession with Brandon Ingram kind of being the guy and getting plays run for him. I don't know if anyone's ever charted out of timeouts what percentage of late out-of-timeouts plays are run for certain players. Let's say it's five minutes or less in close games. Ingram's off the charts. They run it for Ingram, or at least Ingram starts the ball, then it's up for him to make the decision. When Zion, who no one can guard right now, just gets to the basket at will. So Stan Van Gundy has two options. Hey, I can keep Brandon Ingram happy and run a play that doesn't have as good of a chance of scoring as this other guy, Zion, who's been literally unstoppable now because we've let him initiate more of the offense with the ball in his hands. So the Pelicans have to stop doing it. They have to just go, hey, look, we're going to give Zion more of these moments to go ahead and create. And by the way, if they double, he's a really good passer. He sees it. He's learning the doubles. He's learning stuff. You can see it all the time, but it feels like they're obsessed with making sure Ingram still understands that like, it's his team and they're worried about the standing part of it. I believe that was their 11th loss this season with a double-digit lead. Last thought, Lakers, T-Wolves. This Anthony Edwards stuff is really fun, but damn, does he have the ball a lot. It's it's pretty funny. Like I'm going to go ahead and check it real quick as we bounce out of this. Oh, breaking news, Beal was traded. No, he wasn't. Just kidding. Um, That was actually mean. I think that's the meanest thing I've ever done on the podcast. I apologize. Anthony Edwards... How many shots is he taking? <laughs> He's at 22 shots a game now for his last uh, seven games. Look, I would tell you, turn, tune in. Check out some Anthony Edwards. He had 29 last night. Look, the shooting numbers are fine. The sister a little low for a guy that has the ball in his hands that much. But 
when it's good, it's it's really good. It's just uh, it's just a lot going on. And hey, how about this? We share the same birthday, so no wonder I like that guy. That was totally ten minutes. <laughs> was it ten minutes on the nose? <laughs> yeah, it was like nine thirty. That's funny. I just love hoops, man. I just you can hear it in my voice. I just get so excited. There was other stuff I don't even know that I got to. I mean, I watched the Sixers game um, with the Knicks. Does anybody want to hear about that story? Probably not. All right, so let's move on. Let's talk some football. This episode is supported by State Farm. So look, a little rock hit your dude's windshield on the highway. And at first you're like, what is that? I'm like, oh, it's just a little mark. Nope. Now by the end of the ride, it's a big crack. And it had been a while. So I check out the State Farm app. I go, hey, this is what happened. And the funny thing is, is I was like, do I want to go app first or do I call old school guy, probably should call. It's like, let's check out the app. Not only did it take a minute to get done, they set up the glass replacement. They told me the estimate ahead of time, said, you want to go ahead with it? And I was like, now I understand it's all in front of me, all done. I didn't even have to talk to anybody. That's how efficient the insurance game has become. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can Talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need. Have coverage options to protect the things you value most. File a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, just like I did. And even reach a real person when you need to talk to somebody. The app was so good, I didn't even need to do that. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. We're going to do a big NFL free agency roundup. We're going to go all over the country with this one, and we start with Warren Sharp. who do some stuff with us here, but of course, uh, the majority of his stuff you can check out at sharpfootballanalysis.com and then follow him at sharpfootball. Okay, the first thing, I, I don't know. I-, I feel like I wanted to tweet out, I like the Dalton signing just to mess with Bears fans because they're so upset that Dalton's their quarterback, which I kind of get. There's also a layup joke there where you could say, well, don't worry about it. You don't have that many primetime games. You're not going to be in the playoffs anyway, so you don't have to worry about the Dalton factor there. But this is all based on them thinking for a couple days they were getting Russell Wilson. That's all this is. So give me your Dalton side of this and then where we're at with the Russell Wilson pursuit. I I love Dalton as a backup quarterback, and I think he can fill in as a starter on an as-needed basis. I think he's a very, he's probably the best backup quarterback that exists in the NFL. Thinking that you're going to go to the playoffs or build a winner around Andy Dalton at this stage in his career uh, is a little bit, inappropriate in my opinion. So it all depends. What are the bears trying to do? It feels like they're just trying to fill a stopgap at the quarterback position. They were hoping they could hit something with Nick Foles after thinking that maybe Mitchell Trubisky would be their guy. And they failed in both of those categories. And it seemed like they were trying to do as much as they could to bring over Russell Wilson, but those three first rounders plus a couple players in the third rounder wasn't good enough. Um, it wasn't giving the quarterback back to the Seahawks like Pete Carroll and those guys wanted. And so they're kind of stuck with having to live uh, with, with Andy Dalton. And I just don't think they're going to be that much better. I don't think he's a great starting option to excel this season, but 
I mean, he's not going to be significantly worse than the, what they've been dealing with. So I don't think the Bears can get upset thinking that he's a massive downgrade. He's just not going to get them where they want to go. Do you think Russ gets traded? I think it'd be stupid to trade him. I think that there's some strong issues inside that building. They really were getting close to turning the corner at the beginning of the 2020 season. If you go back and look at what happened prior to the 2019 Super Bowl, which Patrick Mahomes won against the San Francisco 49ers, Russ went down to Miami and was talking a lot about having more control over the offense, about getting out to leads quicker in games. And I can tell you without diving deep into the specifics that that team sort of turned a corner from a philosophical perspective. Like, let's give this a try. There's been several years where their prior OC and Russ were trying to do this and they weren't having enough success. And finally, they said, okay, you guys can try it your way. And so they tried it their way and it didn't work out. Uh, and well, it worked out great to start. It worked season, on right? offense. It didn't work on defense. <laughs> it, it worked perfectly on offense for a long part of that season. And I was very happy. A lot of those guys in the building were very happy. Uh, but then, of course, you had zero run support. They went up to Buffalo. I think they were playing with DJ Dallas as their starting running back and rushed through a couple of interceptions. And all of a sudden, Pete was like, oh, we're scaling this thing way back. This is unacceptable. We're going to start running the ball again. So yeah, I, I think Russ should not be traded because if you look at what Pete Carroll's done with and without Russ, I mean, he's been nine seasons with Russ, six without. Eight double-digit win seasons with Russ, one without. Zero third-place or worse finishes with Russ, four without. Not to mention the playoff wins, the comfort-behind victories, all these things Russ can do. They would be so stupid to get rid of Russ, but you never know. This season, this offseason has been crazy so far. Okay, what are the Pats doing? Because as somebody that lived in the area, used to root for the team, um, and knows the Belichick approach, this is the antithesis of Belichick. It's it's well, there's a bunch of different reasons we could talk about motivating, but let's just kind of look at some of the numbers because when you look at the tight end average salaries, and you're like, all right, Kelsey Kittle, they make a lot, and you're like, all right, the Pats guys now make the next two. How much did Aguilar get? Bourne got how much? I mean, Bourne's deal isn't that big of a deal. So, But they are on an absolute spending spree, and they're spending at positions that Belichick has continued to struggle at drafting. He has. He's been terrible drafting the tight end position. It doesn't shock me that they went after tight ends. But what shocks me more than the amount that they spent is when they did the spending. Usually, it's okay to spend a little bit on day one, but that's when you're overpaying. That's when you're outbidding other teams to get the blue chip guys that are available in free agency. Um, now, I don't think Nelson Aguilar, we'll talk about the wide receivers in a second, was a blue chip guy, right? But clearly, Johnny Smith was was a, the blue chip tight end prospect. And I think that they overspent to get him. Now they went into this free agency period, in my opinion, with a very straightforward mindset. Like this is our plan. These are the guys that we want to get. It's okay. We'll get them. We'll figure it out later. Like they went out and overspent for some of these guys, but they clearly targeted these specific players. Like there's no way that Nelson Aguilar should have been one of the first wide receivers off the board, but they wanted to go after him. With the tight ends, what they're looking to do is throw back to, you know, what they were doing obviously with Gronk and Hernandez. And the saying that I always have is 
do something different and do it well. They played with the least amount of two tight end sets of any team in the NFL last year, and they're going back to probably using a ton of two tight end personnel. That is going to cause defenses that don't face two tight ends to make big adjustments when they have to play the Patriots. The Patriots did it for a while when they had a fullback and they used 21 personnel with two running backs, a blocking fullback and a, a tailback. And they played a ton of 21 personnel and teams had to adjust for that. So I think they're going to be very multiple with these tight ends. These guys are not your Gronk level blockers. They're going to do just enough in the blocking perspective. They're primarily receiving options, but there's a lot that their offense coordinator, Josh McDaniels has to work with there. I just feel like I like the fit of John U. Smith there, but I think that they overpaid for him. The Nelson Aguilar thing was just, in my mind, one of the worst free agent signings that we've seen so far this year. It's totally the opposite of what a Bill Belichick team does in free agency. You are buying high on a guy who's just off of his best season as a pro, potentially a fluke season. You're giving him $16 million guaranteed. That's the second highest guarantee for any wide receiver in this free agency class. And then you turn the page and you see that Emmanuel Sanders signed for only one year at $6 million and John Brown signed for only one year at $3.75 million. And you're like, we gave Nelson Aguilar $22 million with 16 guaranteed for two years. It just seemed like a desperation overpay at that position. Yeah, when you break it down and Stefan Diggs was was wanting to move on and he gets 14 million as an average annual salary. He's like in the mid 14s and Stefan Diggs is going to average 11 and you could say okay, it's shorter, but I mean, what are we talking about? Like as soon as I say Diggs and Aguilar, the conversation should be over anyway. And I'm with you. I've always liked Sanders. You seem to have an appreciation for a for a handful of offensive minds. I would I would guess that you have a lot of praise in, in who Shanahan is and what he's been able to do in San Francisco. What was it about Shanahan talking about Sanders that makes you like the Sanders signing so much? I mean, it's everything that Sanders brings to the table. Uh, he does everything at a very high level, like his floor in any one area that a guy like Shanahan or now a guy like Brian Dayball is going to be very high. Like anything he's going to ask him to do, there's a certain level that he can do it. Now, he's not going to be your fastest guy, your best guy down the middle. Your bet, like he's not the best in any one area, but he does everything really well. He's a consummate professional. He's good at blocking down the field, which is something Buffalo needs needed to improve upon a little bit, which is something that John Brown really wasn't able to do. And I just think that this is a very underappreciated player. Guy like Kyle Shanahan, he knows offense better than like 99.9% .9 of the people on the planet. And he was desperately wanting to land Emmanuel Sanders for several years. He gets them. They go on a nice run to the Super Bowl. They're up in the fourth quarter, almost win the Super Bowl. A large part of what they were able to do was because of what Emmanuel Sanders brought to the table. Now, unfortunately, with cap issues, they weren't able to sign him the next season. He goes to the Saints. But if you look through the quarterbacks that have been throwing him the passes, he, Emmanuel Sanders, the last five years, has caught 168 passes from Trevor Simeon and 100 passes from Case Keenum. No other quarterback has thrown him the ball more than 79 times. So you're looking at a guy who really has been dealing with a lot of subpar quarterbacks on some subpar offenses. The year that he gets Drew Brees, Drew Brees is about to retire. His arm's about to fall off. So now he gets Josh Allen, 
in his prime thus far, like last year was a huge jump up for Josh Allen. Who knows where he his career goes from here, but he has never seen a season like last year. If it's anything like that this season, he's got a young quarterback in his prime with a very smart, intelligent coordinator calling plays in Brian Dayball with some pieces around him that's going to allow him to settle down into a singular role. I just think that this is a great signing at a great price, and these are the types of moves that I like in free agency, Ryan. Usually I talk about don't spend a ton. You can't spend nothing, though. You got to participate. There are some bargains to be found. This is the type of guy, one year, $6 million. I think Brandon Bean hit a home run with this short-term signing. These are the types of deals that can elevate teams to make Super Bowl runs. You mentioned the personnel part of this, and you know I know that there'll be a little pushback from Pats fans being like, well, wait a minute, Belichick drafted Gronk, he drafted Aaron Hernandez, who turned into a serial killer, which is definitely you know not what you want at the position. <laughs> um, but what I what I do think is, you know, he's he's just fallen off. He's fallen off now with the the tight end. He took two tight ends in the third round last year, so. You know, there's people that are so anti-Belichick, and I've been anti his draft record because you wouldn't even make it to year three as a GM or year four if that's what you would have over a three or four year stretch. The six Super Bowls helps, obviously, but it's like, oh well, you know, look, this is admitting he did something wrong. Well, yeah, he is admitting like he he didn't get it right on those guys, so at least he's doing something here. But the twelve personnel thing, knowing how much Belichick's adapted his offense. And the fact they brought Cam back, which surprised me that they got Cam to that number that early in the process, unless there was some understanding that that was always going to happen. Again, I don't know that part of it. It was like, well, why couldn't you have waited on Cam because of the season he just had? You waited on him last year, and you know there wasn't a ton of ton of uh, competition for signing him. But it, it seems like you are big on the 12 personnel, the two tight ends with the one running back. As, as just a mindset here, as, as a philosophy, much like you were early on the passing on first down, you know, the success rate and all these things. So tell me a little bit more about the trends, maybe specific to that alignment or other things that you're looking at and you think teams are picking up on. Well, 12 personnel has been the most efficient grouping to pass out of for years now. I mean, it, 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 if you look, look at the expected points added, the yards per attempt, the success rates, 12 personnel does that. Why? Because it forces the defense to get into, uh, put their personnel on to match you. And so, you know, well, if they're going to keep, they're going to keep their nickel on, they're going to put their dime on, like, how are they going to defend your 12 personnel? And so you can see that ahead of time. Now, what Brady did really good when he got these different, uh, defenses to go up against him in 12 personnel is you can read those things pre-snap. You can motion a guy pre-snap. You can identify where their weak points are pre-snap. So Cam is going to have to, it's good that this is year two with Josh McDaniels. He's going to have to identify some of this stuff pre-snap to be able to decide where he's going to go with the ball sometimes before the ball is even snapped. But the other thing that it allows you to do, you know, a lot of defenses have now figured out, well, we're going to play a little bit more too high. We're going to sit back. We're going to dare you to run the football. We're going to play some more too high. Well, now the Patriots can come up with this bully ball tactics where they're going to be strong up front in the middle. Now, of course, they just lost David Andrews, their center, so they're going to have to replace him. But they're going to be able to run the football. Cam's going to be able to do some running. I personally think they need to run Cam more often early in the games. I've noticed historically there's a tendency for Cam to get more, quote unquote, into a game, more jacked up in a game and mindset amped up when he gets a few runs and he gets smacked a little bit at the beginning of a game and he just feels good about himself. That kind of 
gets his mindset set for the game. So I hope that they run him a little bit early on in the, in some of these games, but it's going to make that offense so much more difficult to prepare for, for a particular defense and defensive coordinators and GMs are building out defenses to play certain styles of offense. And they're building in their mind. This is what we want our defense to look because it'll deal with most offenses that we face. And now you get a team like the Patriots that goes heavy 12, that can run the football, that has a running quarterback. And it's just a totally different type of offense that these defensive coordinators are going to have to prepare for uh, in a particular week. Did you dislike anything as much as you like what the Raiders or dislike as much what the Raiders did with their offensive line? I was so just my mind was blown with what the Raiders did. With <laughs> for those that can't line. see this the way I can, Warren is in disbelief, shaking his head here, trying to process this answer. It, 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 it doesn't make any sense to me. I know their offensive line underperformed a little bit last year. Their offensive line also was dealing with a game. If you remember where most of their guys had COVID, they, one of the guys had COVID, their whole line had to sit out. Like they were dealing with backups. Like this was not a cohesive season last year. I don't necessarily know that that building is the most uh, stable environment to be dealing with a season like with, with COVID. Um, so I think that there was a lot of different setbacks that that team probably dealt with that some other teams maybe didn't have to deal with quite as much. And yes, their offensive line underperformed a bit last year, but this team, I don't know what they are doing. John Gruden is a very good schematic coach. He's great at drawing up plays. He's great at calling plays in great situations. He knows what he's doing from that perspective. Really solid. The longer he is with a particular team and getting his fingers and tentacles deeper and deeper into personnel decisions and the salary cap and all these things, the more it tends to fall apart in every place that he's been historically. And he's got more power here than he ever has had in the past. And dismantling one of the most cohesive, productive, what longest tenured offensive line groups. I mean, these guys have been there for a while. And this is what Derek Carr needs. He needs an offensive line to give him protection and security and safety to feel good pre-snap. We've seen Derek Carr just pitch the ball out way early than most quarterbacks do when pressure comes to him. So I, I just felt like losing Rodney Hudson, who is a tremendously good center, for, for really no reason. I mean, really no reason whatsoever. Made no sense to me. I don't know what those guys are doing over there, but that was one of the strengths of this team. Their defense is not good. Uh, they don't know what they're doing at the wide receiver position. They're, they're, I, I just think that, that Darren Waller is like their best player right now, and it's not even close, and he's a tight end. So that should tell you a little bit about this team and where they are. Uh, I felt like they could build on what they did last year. They went eight and eight, second place in the AFC West. But I think this team is is destined to fall back big time with a with a much worse offensive line in 2021. Okay, last thought. You go any direction you want, Warren. The thing that you're kind of the most passionate about that you've seen to this point or something that hasn't happened yet. Okay, so a couple things that I'm not going to dive into. I loved Corey Lindsley going to the Chargers. I think having a guy like that to help 
work with a young quarterback. Lindsey's going to be there for several years. It's going to be great for Justin Herbert. I really think this is team in the AFC West. We, West, we just talked about the Raiders going to make some nice strides this upcoming season. That was a great move. Emmanuel Sanders to Buffalo, great move. But let's talk for a minute about the Washington football team. I thought what they did to go after William Jackson was great. It was also similarly mind-boggling about what the Bengals did in letting William Jackson go because it just didn't make any sense to me. They literally gave the same exact contract last season to a cornerback that they brought in that Washington gave this season to William Jackson. William Jackson is a first-round pick for the Bengals who has played really well in his career. Why would you let a guy like that leave town? It does not make any sense to me. So I don't know what the Bengals are doing, but kudos for Washington for going after him aggressively and landing him. I think he is great. If you look at what Washington's defense did um, last season in terms of their strengths defensively, because they were obviously one of the best defenses in the NFL, uh, their defense was one of the one of the tops, I think number two overall, they, sorry, number two against the pass, number three overall, but they struggled defending number one wide receivers. They rank sixth worst in the NFL. So number 27 versus number one wide receivers. Boom. Here comes William Jackson. He can cover ones. Now, I don't think they're going to have him shadow, but he's capable of doing that. Even if he's not shadowing, he's going to provide a ton of versatility for their defense, for their scheme. I think he makes that whole unit immensely better just by his addition out on the football field. It was something that they desperately needed and they got. And then if you look what they did at the quarterback position, no, Ryan Fitzpatrick is not the guy who's going to lead this team to a Super Bowl in two years from now, three years from now, right? But he deserved, based on his performance last year, to have a starting job in the NFL, considering some of the players that are starting at the quarterback position around the league. I'm glad that Washington gave him that chance. Granted, he's going to have to compete. I think he clearly should be able to win that job. Um, he's not going to be the most consistent guy. He's not going to deliver a ton of successful performances. But one of the things that we haven't seen Ryan Fitzpatrick have a lot in his career is a true number one defense. And he's got that with Washington. So how can Scott Turner work with him? I really like that pairing. Scott Turner is going to dial up some nice things for Fitzpatrick. I really love his addition there as well. So I think Washington made is spending not nearly the average money in free agency. So they're just below average which is what we want. We don't want teams going out and spending the biggest dollar amount to land the highest money in free agency. We want them spending a little bit to land key players that are going to be solid contributors. And I think Washington did that very well. Warren Sharp, sharpfootballanalysis.com. And uh, again, at Sharp Football. Thanks for all the work, man. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Ryan. This episode is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Looking for a better way to watch live TV? Stream your favorite sports and shows on over 95 live channels with Hulu Plus Live TV. Get access to Hulu's entire streaming library, Disney Plus and ESPN Plus, all in one plan. Start your free trial of Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. He's Tom E. Curran. NBC Sports Boston, Pat's insider. Few know the Pats as well as he does, but I don't know if I know these Pats. Uh, they're spending <laughs> more than ever before. What is going on in Foxborough, Tom? You know these Pats, though. When you really think about it, Ryan, the Pats are amorphous. 
offensively, defensively. They'll switch from being a bully ball team to being a spread offense. They'll go with 4-3, 3-4, walk around fronts. So they're all about value for a long time. If the situation changes, you have to be malleable and change with it. And I think that's what Bill Belichick has done. Instead of having the centerpiece, and I know Brady never got paid an insane amount, but instead of having the centerpiece as your quarterback who's making the lion's share, now it's those people around him who he's so resistant to paying and has been so resistant to supplying the team with, where he's like, well, we're not going to get better at quarterback. Let's get the other dudes. Okay. Um, all of that is correct, but it's still surprising on the spending part of it. Because I can mm-hmm. remember, I think Rosie Colvin was the first big ticket item. And, yep. and you'll correct me if I'm wrong. Adelius Thomas was the other one where it was like, oh, wow. And that actually didn't even work out. Um, Stephon Gilmore was a big ticket item for them. Revis was a shorter contract. But I mean, the point of this exercise is it's like 20 years. And I feel like it's a handful of guys that actually said, you know what? Let's actually go and do that. So when you raise the second tier of tight ends to that average annual salary, when you play that much for Aguilar, I know the Bourne contract details came back around. I actually like that. I like mm-hmm. him. Um, I really like him. If you watch them and we're kind of locked in what they were doing. So it's a collection of signings that still... Like I get that they'll zag when everybody else is going another direction on the field. It's still kind of surprising, though. I got a zag back for your zig here. All right, let's go. The zag back to the zig is they did such a great job drafting that the money that they were spending was on Logan Mankins, Richard Seymour, Vince Wilfork, Ty Law at the end. So they actually had a good core of players that they had held on to. They don't have that core right now because – Tooney and Flowers, third and fourth round pick, are now someplace else. They don't have to pay them. Brady's gone. Um, They haven't done anything at tight end where they have to pay somebody. They haven't done anything at wide receiver. Cronk being another guy. So they don't have homegrown talent to whom they're paying those big dollars. They were still paying the big dollars. But now that they have rammed themselves into the bridge abutment repeatedly in free agency in the draft the past few years, now they're going to buy those guys on the open market. Those other signings, the Hightower or Chung or McCordy, kind of flowed under the radar, flew, because they were in-house re-signs, but they were still expensive. Okay, yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of the point, but it's always been, you know, look, I, I almost feel like you were, it's probably changed now, but All I just remember- happened because he was a disaster in go personnel ahead. for the last five years. Disaster. Disaster. How did that happen? How was he this bad for this long? Um, I don't know. I mean, it's just mismanagement, I think, of, look, we've heard from so many personnel folks, outwardly and inwardly, he doesn't listen to us. He does, he makes the decisions that he's going to make, whether it was Jamie Collins or Kyle Duggar last year whether it's wide receivers, there is no confab where everybody's sitting down at the table and having a great exchange of ideas. And then Bill says what he's going to do. I mean, he listens, but he's still going to act the way Bill wants to act. And that is a fixation on defense. And then when you have Hightower and Chung opt out and Bo Allen never plays, and you really don't have anybody developing at defensive end, you're going to get run through over and around. And then on offense, when you don't expect Tom Brady to leave and you, for whatever reason, ignore the tight end position. I mean, outright ignore it. How can you not have George Kittle playing for this team when he went to Iowa? He was a fifth round pick. You're best friends with Kirk Ferentz. We got idiots at my place like Phil Perry. 
I say that with great respect, saying, ideal patriot, George Kittle. I'm writing a few years ago, ideal patriot, Tyler Lockett. I mean, I'm not saying I'm smarter than him. I'm just saying, what was the aversion to those positions? And this is why you get where you got this week. Right, and he, and he whiffed on the on the recent tight ends that he's been drafting because we know he loves tight ends. I mean, he loves tight ends. He, he brought Daniel Graham in and couldn't wait to bring in Ben Watson. I mean, this is somebody check where you've known. But check this out. He drafted A.J. Derby, Lee Smith, and Ryan Izzo between 2011 and 2017. Nothing in 18, nothing in 19, and then the two guys last year. So that's five for the friggin' decade. Yeah, Gronk and, you know, however many years he had at Aaron Hernandez probably right. thought, like, okay, I don't need to draft any more here. But, I mean, the, the Graham Watson part of it was like, wait a minute. And then you started to learn, like, no, this is what Bill likes. You know, right. I'm going to ask you this because you've been more critical. This is the, what always surprises me. And, again, it's a New England thing where, you know, the guy walking around with the Bill is God hoodie, I don't really blame him. I, you yeah. know, I mean, it's, it's tough. It, it'd be like me sitting there saying, Hey, I'm I'm great with money, and then I, all I do is spend spend it on scratch tickets, and I'm you know I'm I'm investing in in website domains, and then you see me with a beach house at 55, and you're like, how the fuck did that work out? And you're like, yeah, you know, and and that's what it feels like with Belichick's draft record, and the fact that it's like, yeah, but I'm still winning all the time. Mm-hmm. You've been more critical of it. You've ramped it up. I think you even suggested at some point he should let somebody else handle the skill stuff. You, I think, arguably were as close to Bill as anyone in the media. What's that relationship like now? I would say it's cooled a little bit. And a, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's cool. That's being nice. Uh, you know, really what precipitated it was kind of 2017. And by the end of that season, um, you know, I was getting so many indications from folks in the building, in the organization that, look, this is not the same as it was. Um, guys are going to start leaving and they did Patricia McDaniels almost, um, Casario tried to leave Monty Austin Ford tried to leave Belichick blocked them both. The number of players went elsewhere. Um, there was the benching of Butler in the Super Bowl, and it just started to go sideways. And then the, the 2018 off season was so, you know, Brady wanted out literally wanted to leave approach craft about him doing so. Um, then Belichick tries to trade Gronkowski to Detroit and Gronkowski says, no, I'm like, what, what's going on here? We're so far from what it is. And people can say, well, Brady was a prima donna or Gronk was a lot to handle. Well, that doesn't explain all the people in, in the organization who were disenfranchised and disappointed, not that happy about going to work. So I think that's where I started to turn the dial the other way. And of course, predictably, Bill is apprised of which way the dial is going. So he becomes a little bit fatigued by people who are going to question him. I mean, you look at that. Where does the information on the Patriots go now? It goes to Adam Sheffer, it goes to Field Yates, it goes to Ian Rappaport. Sometimes it goes to the Globe's Jim McBride. Never has heard a discouraging word from any of those folks. Nor analysis, really. I mean, I'm in a position where I got to say who's good, who's bad, what's good, what's not. Am I right or wrong? No, but I do have to offer an opinion. So if the opinion isn't in lockstep, at some point, he's going to say, I'm not helping him, or I'm not going to bend over backwards for him. And in the end, Ryan, it's not like I was getting massive nuggets of world-changing information. <laughs> no, but I remember, and I don't know if this is, I think it's important for the audience to understand this. Um, and I don't know, maybe, you know, if you don't want me sharing this, but when we first got to know each other, I was like, man, you really, you really seem to have like great insight on the build thing. I'm like, I imagine 
Like, and we would kind of make jokes. I think people made jokes a little bit in the beginning in your career. Be like, oh, look at Bill and how he looks at Tom. Like you liked each other. And mm-hmm. then I was like, how close are you with him? And I remember you, we were in an office up at Comcast and you put up your hand and you went four. And I was like, what is that? And you're like, I get to talk to him four times a year. <laughs> and there's four times he'll get on the phone. And, you know, I've, I have different relationships with different people. And sometimes it's as simple as I'm not trying to break a story. It's I just set me straight here, you know, point yeah. me in the right direction. But, you know, I'm going to be out here all the time. I'd be talking about your team. Give me an idea of That's why it. this or this happened. And those relationships could be, but I just, Knowing Bill and knowing of Bill, and I don't pretend to know him, know him, but I've look, I've been around it long enough that there's no way he, when I saw you write the article about Bill should let somebody else take receivers, I'm like, oh, they must be pretty much done now. <laughs> the sad thing is, is I can make, I can make a case. I mean, oh, well, I mean, what, what would his argument be against it? I mean, he's really bad at that part of it. And, um, yeah, yeah, I think you're I think you're revealing a lot of stuff here that maybe people don't realize nationally in that if people in the building who don't even play are miserable, what you know, then it starts turning back into man, was Brady really the guy that kept this thing going in the right direction, which I feel like is incredibly dismissive to Bill and I don't even like saying it. It, it is dismissive to Bill in that Look, I felt when we had that Bill Brady conversation, I said the first di- I look at this as two different dynasties anyway. 1.0 was 2000 to 2009. 2.0 was 2010 to 2019. Bill had the first half, and then he taught Brady all he knew, and Brady had the second half and propped them up in a lot of ways when they had mistakes in the latter half of the decade, when things weren't going well, when they had injuries. So, but, you know, suggesting one, like Brady wouldn't be who he is or what he is, and he'd be the first to acknowledge that without having the foundation completely poured and molded by Bill. But, you know, I do think that the institutional knowledge of the staff, whether it's Brady or McDaniels or guys, Dante Scarnecchia, always allowed Bill to have a very, very high floor. And the floor, I think, was probably 10 or 11 wins. And Bill himself, we can be an ass team. Last year, they shouldn't have won three games with that roster. They win seven and we're in the hunt for a couple others. Because Bill, so he turned Gunnar Olszewski from a guy who might not play for the Middleborough Shamrocks. They're deep. To though. being an all pro punt return. I mean, crazy. Yeah, look, the Kansas City game is a feather in Bill's cap, big time, because, you know, you rolled in, you had a plan. And, you know, it's funny, too, because watching the Super Bowl, it made me think of Skarnakia. It made me think of Bill when Bill really had it rolling in the beginning when you realized this was special and that. Being a Pats fan was incredible because you just knew at halftime they were going to come out smarter than the mm-hmm. other team. It was I can't explain it. You'd have to see it to live it every single week. Like whatever thing was working in the first half wasn't going to work in the second half because Bill and those guys are going to figure out a way to do it differently. But I could just I, I don't see any version of a Bill and especially Skarnecchia combo where they have the problems at tackle in the Super Bowl where they come back out and play the same way in the second half. Oh the Patriots God. would have never ever done anything like that. And for all the love for the Chiefs, which I have in Mahomes. I can't believe they still try to play the same game in the second half. All right, I'm going to get derailed on this. There's still important stuff. Sure. Why would you pay Cam Newton? And it's not an astronomical number. It's a short-term number. But if the market was so depressed for him last year, he just plays what I think, and I've said, for anybody that's supposed to be a guy, one of the worst seasons I've seen at the position, we can talk injuries, we can talk COVID, we can talk shortened off season. He's never recognized pressure. He doesn't really do much at the line of scrimmage. Um, and I would say almost none. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and he was completely inaccurate and it got worse and worse. Why then was there a rush to get a deal done for him? I think one of the biggest parts of it, Ryan, was being able to say to Nelson Aguilar or Hunter Henry or Jonathan Smith, it's not an empty chair. It's not Jarrett Stidham completely unproven. We have Cam Newton. And believe us, what Cam Newton did last year was with all those caveats you attached to it. And candidly, the reason we're even talking to you is we understand that Devin Asiasi and Dalton Keene and Jacoby Myers and Demir Bird are just not good enough to compete for most teams as starting wide receivers. You come in here, Cam will be better. And I think the other thing about Cam that, that we need to, to really weigh in is he ate that poop sandwich all year long for a million bucks. He didn't complain. He was great, legitimately great leader, changed my impression. Everybody loves him. Everybody loved impression. him in this past year. Yep. So Bill's going to say, you know what? I paid him a million last year. If I pay him $7 million this year, it's, it's a starting quarterback for $8 million over two years. Who cares? I don't think they're done there, but I do think that they can envision themselves, Ryan, as actually starting the season with him under center. Okay, then what else do you think happens at the position? I think it's just keep – it's like in the morning when, when, you, when you look – Pull the curtain back and see what kind of a day it is. I think that's what they'll all be doing. Is anybody out there? No, not yet. Did they try? Were they aggressive on any of the other people? No, I don't think you would call it any of it aggressive. You know, the Wentz stuff or anything like that. But they, they, they were just turned their nose up to the entire free agent class, whether it was Fitzpatrick or anybody else. But, you know, say Watson goes to Carolina. You're out of your mind if you don't think Teddy Bridgewater is in the top half of the league as a quarterback. So you you probably like Teddy Bridgewater like me. I don't. I um. I got him. Top half is. I would say he's firmly in the in the in that half swing range. All right. He's in ten to sixteen. Yeah, I think he's probably sixteen to twenty. But that's twenty one, aren't you? No, I'm. I'm not saying that because. He has some incredible numbers for him and like wins, expected win, where all these times you would have thought he was going to lose and then they'd win. And then, and again, it was the schedule. We've done this on the pod where they lost like eight in a row and they were mm -hmm. good football teams. So if you, if you end up with Bridgewater and you say, oh, he fell off, they actually had a brutal part of the schedule. Panthers fans realize this. I'm not saying no to Teddy Bridgewater at all. I just think that him inching towards 10 is a bit of a reach for me. Okay, that's fair. <clears throat> but I just think, you know, a few years ago when his leg almost fell off and he was with the Jets, I was like, just bunch of steal for him. Deal for him as your Brady backup after the Garoppolo deal had been made. He's just sitting there. I mean, that to me is too, when we talk about it, Ryan, the maddening aspect of Bill where I understand what I'm covering. I understand the success that you and I can see. I like that you can talk frankly about things. I wouldn't have had the opportunity to send my kids to the colleges that they went to, nor live in the house that I do, nor still be doing a TV show, had I not been covering the Patriots. If I was covering the Cardinals, the Browns, or somebody else, nobody would have said, hey, you got to read this guy's stuff. He's pretty plugged in. Because no one would have seen it. So I understand all that. And I appreciate what I've had the opportunity to cover. Incredibly fortunate. However, when you go from 2017 Halloween, where you just move off Jimmy Garoppolo, getting much less than you could have gotten for him months previous because you had no plan and you had your hands tied a little bit. And then all you do is draft Danny Yetling and draft Jarrett Stidham and sign Cam Newton two times and think Brian Hoyer is going to be a suitable stand-in. You have to say, Bill, hey, you got to do something more. What was the plan? 
So those are the things that, that agitate. I don't know what, how I got to that. All right, last one then, speaking of agitation. Um, is, is this about Brady winning? I mean, no. how, mad, how mad do you think Bill was, though? Um, I don't think he's mad about Brady. I think he, he's probably looking at it this way. I mean, what do you want? Went to a team with every single player there. They let him do whatever he wants to. I mean, he's not going to do it like that. Um, but I think it's more about, look, I'm almost 69 years old, and I have these dipshits on conference calls asking me whether or not I know how to draft anymore, and more on Tom Curran's out there saying that. I should be stripped of offensive privileges. I mean, imagine what he's, his face is if somebody taps him on the shoulder and says, you see what Tom Curran said? Yeah, man. I mean, look, his answer when he was asked about it was like, eh. he's like you've done pretty good on, on some picks, though. Huh? And you're like, okay, so this bothers you. Like, this bothers you, Bill. But, you know, Bill, ultimately, like I tried to, it was a bad analogy earlier about anything, but it's hard to look him in the eye and be like, you know, you, you've been pretty bad at this. <laughs> you know, when you're talking about the big things that we care about, the things we actually keep track of, you know, the Hall of Fame speech isn't going to be, oh, he whiffed on receivers for eight years. Yeah. You know, it's not going to be that. So it's hard to to tell him he's wrong about any of these things, but he's just, you know, I don't know. It's, it's a very complicated conversation. It is I, because almost in asking the questions of him, you end up with those 78 word questions, you know, John Dennis length questions that are, <laughs> that are just weaving through. I understand you won six Super Bowls and that you drafted Gronk and Hernandez and Smith and, and, and all these guys. But I just did want to ask you, why can't you do it anymore? You have to have all the caveats in front of it before you say it. And uh, it's just, but again, I mean, I'm literally enthused. I mean, we do this for work. We want to be objective. We want to be ju judicious and solid in our judgments. But you like to watch the games, too. And this is the local entrant. And I'm excited about what they've done. You're the best, buddy. Thank you very much, Tom Curry. All right, bud. Thanks for having me. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. -side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. Diana Rossini joins us now as we run through the rest of free agency from ESPN, and you can follow her at Diana ESPN. Um, okay, let's start with um, the Saints. You've always like there's teams that I know you're the go-to on, and I think you've always had really good stuff on the Saints. So, I, I look post Breeze. I think everybody knew that wasn't a huge secret. He was going to retire, and he was going to have this TV deal. I think some people maybe wanted about a year earlier, um, but. What are they doing now at the position, knowing they're bringing back Winston, but they still had Hill under this contract, Diana? Yeah, so the way it was explained to me is it's going to be a true quarterback competition. 
So let's say that's the company line for now, right? Because they have to do that. They have to allow these two who are signed to a contract to compete for the starting job. So let's take one side of it, Taysom Hill. We know Sean Payton's admiration for the guy. We know how much he he likes him. We we know how much he paid him. Uh, He truly believes in him. But Jameis really emerged this last season, almost surprisingly, um, not just a great locker room guy, but but just what he's been able to do on the field at practice. Now, I didn't get to go to practices this past season because of COVID, unfortunately. Um, but everything that I heard from players and, and the coaching staff about Jameis was just like Peyton's enamored. So now he's got these like two crushes on these quarterbacks. Um, and if you were to ask me just like, hey, if camp started now, who do I think based on just the information I know, not because anyone told me, but I think if camp were to start now, Jameis Winston would be the starter just, just based on, um, on what, what I've been told about his development and that idea of, of, of the challenge for Peyton. I think it's something that motivates him. It's what makes him so great. He likes taking things. I always joke that he'd be, he's like a, he, he should work at Ikea. And just, he likes to fix things and build things and work off them. And because to him, he looks at Jameis as Tampa messed up with him. They did not coach him up. They did not give him the right tools to be great, which is why he was so indecisive. And that offense didn't work for him. He believes the Saints offense can make Jameis back to the the kind of quarterback he was expected to be. Yeah, because I can't figure out the Taysom part of it. Even the, some of the games where people will be like, hey, look at the numbers. And I go, eh, I don't know. I watched that game. Like, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't what I wanted to be. Sometimes it was the opposition thing. So I'd love to see a, a, just a slightly less dangerous version of Jameis. And I mean that as, as a guy that, you know, if you could just rein it in a little bit. I don't know that it's ever going to happen. I don't know that the, the TD interception split's ever going to be what you want it to be, which would be an anomaly based on his career. But it, it's just... I guess I just have a hard time believing that Hill would be a starter for an NFL team for 16 weeks. I've struggled with that as well because I've always followed up my questioning with kind of, why do you love this guy so much? Like, what, what is it? Um, and coach says, all what does he say to you? Like, does he ever say, is there any, I'm not, I'm not trying to have you tell his secrets here, but is there something he said to you that's convincing about it? Because I know he went on with Kevin Clark and I got the point, but I, I just still wasn't buying. I don't know. Yeah. And he was on Dan Patrick yesterday too, talking about it. Um, I'd say the word that stands out to me when he speaks about him is his intellect, which makes sense because if anyone has watched a Sean Payton interview or had an, has ever had an opportunity to just even have a conversation with him, um, he retains better and more than any human being I've ever been around. Um, like he can tell you what you were wearing the first time he met you. Like he he just has one of those brains um, that can recall. So I think he's drawn to those types that can pick up real quickly. And, and he'll be the first to admit that's a really complicated offense that they run. I mean, you've seen their play sheet before on TV. It's insane. It is insane what they do. Well, we were going to get to Washington, another team that you covered, because you had some really good stuff on this. They, they end up with Fitzpatrick, but was there a play there for Darnold? So. There was an early flirtation, I would call it. The two the two sides spoke. Um, I don't know the reason why it didn't work. What I can tell you is, and, and this is absurd to me, that we're in mid-March. 
And I feel very comfortable saying that the New York Jets haven't made a decision with what they want to do. Okay, so we're, this is still a possibility for Jets fans listening now. Yes, it, it is still. No, no, not with Washington. But the, right. they, they have not made a decision on what they want to do with Sam Darnold. That was the that was the, the that was the sentence in my head that it, that didn't come out of my mouth. They're still deciding what they want to do with Darnold. Do they want to trade him and then go to the draft, or do they want to ride this with him and give him one more shot? And it's unbelievable, unbelievable how split this is within the organization. And what I hear from from different decision makers and people that I would think would have a say. Um, and then let's just throw it in there because it's interesting to me everyone else around the league and what they think. And I'm always, you know, I tweeted about this. I'm always blown away. And and maybe it's because I live in New Jersey and my brothers and stuff are all Jets fans. So I I hear it a certain way. They all think Donald's trash in my family. Um, I don't, my family does. Uh, But when I hear it from other coaches and people that I really trust and think are good football brains, evaluators, they all say Sam Darnold has something you want in a starter. Uh, I had one coach go, I'll never forget. I went to his pro day. Um, it was out in California, obviously. And I guess someone else, was, I think Josh Rosen was working out that day too. They, they had like a split thing, um, some workout. And he's like, I wasn't there to see Sam Darnold, but I stood and just watched him because I was just in awe because this, this coach wasn't in the business for finding a quarterback or looking for one at the time. And he's like, I just remember thinking this guy is so good. So here we are years later. And it's like, well, what's changed? You know, how much did Adam Gase really affect him? How much can a great coach make him better? And, you know, Ryan Tannehill is such a great example of what I think teams fear, Ryan. It's like, I don't want to give away my young guy and see him go off and have success. Because, look, I mean, Ryan Tannehill is the definition of that at this point. Uh, he hasn't won anything yet, but he, he certainly looks better than he did in Miami. So I think there's a little bit of that within the organization. And, and you know this better than anyone. I mean, for Joe Douglas, I, I, this is going to be the biggest decision he makes as a GM. The other thing you had, too, um, we know that the Pats, you know, got in the Aguilar thing, the Bourne deal, uh, Corey Davis to the Jets, as you just mentioned. But there's some other big ticket receivers here. And I know you're in on this story, too. What's the frustration right now from the players of that position? Yeah, so I would call that I, I would categorize the receivers that are in the free agent market right now. One point five slash two type receivers. There's no true number one here. There really yeah. is. Um, and teams are aware of that. And the type of money these receivers are looking for right now that they think they can get is in that double digit number. And all the teams I'm talking to just keep saying that that it's just not happening. They're not moving on it. Um, so un- until the first domino falls, which I, I think it's going to be, it's going to be Kenny, you know, yeah, maybe Curtis Samuel will go first, but here, here's what's really interesting, right? Most of the, re- most of the receivers, not all of them, most of the receivers I talk to that are, that are on the street right now, they all want one year deals. So they're asking for double digits on one years, which on one year, which is to me, that just seems that's tough, but I understand what they're doing. It's just, 
I'm interested to see how this comes to fruition and when these deals get done. And I, I'm I usually I'm not obsessed with contracts, but I want to see these contracts because it's been all you know, we're we're into this now three and a half days, almost well, three days. And you know, we haven't really seen much action with the exception of the receivers you named. Yeah, I've seen a bunch of different theories out there on it where it's like, well, the cap is down, so these guys want to work off a shorter deal so that when the cap bounces up yeah. past COVID, because basically we were looking at like $10, $11 million increases every single year on the cap. Um, and then I can tell when somebody will, they're like, oh, well, the TV money coming, these guys want shorter deals. You're like, dude, the TV money's like, it's still, the deals may be done right now, but that money isn't impacting the cap spike that we're going to have like the NBA that's not happening for a few years anyway. And the way the NFL contracts work out, there's no such thing as a six-year deal. They're all three years. How much money in the first three years, three years of the deal? So even if somebody were doing a multiple-year deal, they'd be up before the TV money came in anyway. I just want your perspective then from all the shuffling here with the quarterbacks, uh, whether it's Dalton ending up in Chicago, which bummed out Bears fans, which is where I kind of started this whole thing, and then you know the Deshaun Watson part of this too. So go in any direction you want. Yeah, so the narrative coming out of Houston from, from the decision-makers there it's been very clear, which is they don't want to trade Deshaun. And it's starting to change a bit, which is it's surprising me. It's really surprising me because I've talked to a lot of people around the league, uh, teams that have been interested in trading for Deshaun. I've talked to people in the Houston building and they were really um, stuck in the mud, I guess, so to speak. Uh, on, they were not going to trade away Deshaun Watson. You know, this is why... Nick Casario took that job. It's why he wanted to be there. It's why head coach David Culley took that job to coach a guy at, uh, with the caliber of a Deshaun Watson. Think about if you're him, you wait your whole life to be, a, or both these guys, GMs and, and head coaches, and you're going to trade away a, a, a really a once in a lifetime type quarterback. He's, he's that good. Uh, not a lot of great guys like him out there. But the fact that it's starting to pick up a little steam in terms of swinging the other way, where maybe they're a little bit more open to it. I haven't been able to talk to anyone specifically that have changed their tune on it. Um, but, but I know people I trust at ESPN have been been definitely letting it out a little bit that I, I, I think they're going to let it happen. I'm going to stick with what I've been saying up until this point, which is I, I don't believe they're going to trade him. I don't believe Houston's going to trade Deshaun Watson, but at some point they're going to have to make a decision, perhaps around the draft, um, because if they're going to deal them, if they're if they're going to be forced to deal them, they're going to want to do it between now and the draft. Yeah, it would make more sense, especially if there are guys that they like here. But then you got to find a trading partner that has, you know, a pick that even gets you into that in that position, um, and that's why the, you know, the Miami part of it is so brutal now on top of everything else because that's your pick, um, or was your pick. The Russell Wilson stuff is, I think, you know, it's so it's funny because this whole free agency, it's always about the players uh, who are looking for homes. And the fact that we've had two gigantic, extremely talented quarterbacks not happy, it's kind of been a shadow over all of this. And, and let's just face it, the most important stories. It's really it really is because Russell Wilson is not happy. It's very clear. Um, I've talked to people close to him. and. They were watching that Bears situation closely. They were waiting and waiting and waiting. And, and um, Adam Schefter is even reporting that he doesn't believe that uh, it's fully over there in terms of the drama between Russell and Seattle, meaning that maybe there's a still a slight window that they could move him again. Um, 
but just the fact that Seattle's been open to it. And I, I spoke to a team that was interested in trading for him a few weeks ago. And I said, well, why couldn't you get the deal done? You know, because this team had the, had the picks. It, they could get it done if they really wanted to. And this person said to me, it wasn't us. It was them. We didn't have an answer for them at quarterback. They, 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 they want a legit, they don't want just a, a placeholder. They want a legit guy. And I couldn't give them that. So, so what you're it, saying is Seattle wanted somebody coming back and the bears didn't have that. Not the bears aren't this example that I'm talking right, about. Right. But a different uh, but team I, that was kicking a, on. There the was team. another, right, there was a couple other right, teams actually. Right. Right. Okay. Uh, the bears one, the bears one picked up the most steam the last week, but three weeks ago, there, there were a lot more teams involved, which is really, I think it'll come out soon. Um, but that's that's the big issue with Seattle dealing Russell, which think about that. The fact that they're willing to trade him away blows my mind. But if they feel like they can get enough in return and, and Pete Carroll perhaps wants to rebuild, if, if that's what he wants to do, then then I guess it could work. But um for now, they they have to work on that relationship because it's not good. No. But God, that was great. That was great insight there at the end. All right. Diana Rossini, that was awesome. Thank you. Thanks, guys. This is a big deal. Uh, I'm very happy about this. I, I hope everybody else is happy about it as well. But I'm also afraid there could be some tension. I don't know if we can get the screens up here. But very happy to announce the ringer has hired Steve Cerruti. Sir Rudy now part of uh, the program out here on the West Coast. What's up, man? Chilling, dude. Yeah, super excited. I was trying to think the last time, one of the last times I was on the pod with you, I think was the time that I claimed that I would take Luca over anyone, right? And then you, I think your direct quote was, that take is so crazy and dumb that Bill just might hire you. And I guess here we are, right? <laughs> Look at that. That feels like, that feels like that was pent up a little bit. Um, I've been sitting on that one for a while. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, it ended up being it ended up being a better take, but it's still Luca, the first guy you would take to start your franchise. Um, Bill would probably agree with you. I don't. I don't think that I'm ever going to get there. I don't think I'll ever get there. But maybe I should. Maybe I should. But then I start doing top ten players, and I'm thinking, well, I was trying to do it the other night. It's so hard. The guys you leave out of the top ten that are always mentioned as top ten players, like I've said, the top is very deep, but. And just like old times, I keep talking. So um, what's going on with you, man? I'm really, really happy about this. We know that there was, um, you, you had your own little adventure there for a while. So I, I can't believe this actually happened because we had talked about it for a while. Didn't know if it would. Yeah, we had a weird 2020, like I imagine a lot of people did. Uh, bounce around, did some things, some me time, some time to reflect. But uh, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm super I'm super pumped. I, I really am. And uh, you know, obviously, I've been a, a huge fan of The Ringer for a while, and it's great to work with you again. And we've got some other stuff that uh, I'm really excited to work on in The Ringer Podcast Network as well. So can't wait to get going on that. And you know, I, I, was, I was thinking too, I don't know, like I don't know if there's an appetite anymore for the Magic Minute either. So maybe we just do like a Magic Trade Minute since half the roster's on the block apparently. But I think after that, I don't think anybody wants to hear about the Magic anymore. Maybe Kevin. That's about it. Kevin Clark will have you on. Now, so, all right, Kyle. Do you feel tension already about this? Where are you at emotionally with uh, now my current producer being joined by my former producer? Hey, man. Um, I, what Bill says I do, I push the button. <laughs> So I'm out here pushing buttons still. So don't worry about me. I'm good. Well, here's the thing is Kyle's way funnier than I am. So I think, I mean, there's no tension here whatsoever. Like let him go like the life advice stuff. Like you're, you're great at that. I'd have, you know, I'm honestly just going to sit this one out. I mean, actually, you know what's important here? Are you in Los Angeles? 
No, oh. I'm in I'm in good old Connecticut. Well, my Why? second question was going to be, do you drink beer? But it doesn't matter. So never mind. It's fine. We'll just keep we'll keep it rolling. Another time. Another yeah, time. Another time. <laughs> You guys could tell stories, be like, is he difficult to work with? I wouldn't say difficult, but he just likes what he likes. He likes, he likes things to be the way he needs them to be. Okay. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all kids, I am liquid. So now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. All right, life advice, rr at gmail. Let's do a couple here. Um, there was a few that were just edited so poorly, Kyle, that I just, I couldn't handle it. Let's do a little story here because um, we had a lot of people checking in on the car advice thing because Bill and I talked about it. But Bill and I, I will admit, again, we made a mistake. We should have said we were talking about leases, all right, because there are different people at different levels, especially with the credit scores. And so if you have to put money down because you're buying a car and you're going to keep it longer, your credit score isn't that great. I'm not going to beat up on you about a bad credit score. Maybe you are an idiot or maybe you just had a few mistakes or maybe American Express never sent you a bill your entire freshman year when you were 18 and got the credit card for the free tickets uh, to travel anywhere. And then you didn't travel anywhere because you didn't have any money to go anywhere. <laughs> Sound familiar? So, all right, uh, here we go. 37 years old, 195, 22 rep max for non-kipping pull-ups. Uh Okay, those are 22 straight pull-ups. Kyle, how many pull-ups are you doing right now? Oh, I'm not doing pull-ups right now, so. Yeah, okay. No, I I knew it would be single digits. Okay, here we go. Not a question, but wanted to share some advice passed on to me by my father, which could be added to the principles uh, discussed during Ryan and Bill's recent conversations about buying leasing a car. At age 12, I went car shopping with my father, and my mother had given him carte blanche to come home with a four-door SUV. We went to a few dealerships before becoming enamored with a circa 1995 black Ford Explorer, Eddie Bauer edition, all leather interior, sunroof, five disc CD player, thin brown stripe of status wrapping around. That is such a great sentence. That's why I'm reading this email. A thin brown stripe of status wrapping around. For younger people, Google the Eddie Bauer edition, 95 Ford Explorer. That was that was big pimping back then, guys. Uh, everything you ever wanted uh, when being dropped off at school or giving teammates a ride to and from games when you were in the middle uh, when you were in middle school, but definitely out of our price range. After walking back from the test drive, salivating, we sat down in a small cubicle and started the negotiation process. During one of the back and forth breaks when the salesman was away getting his best price from the manager, my dad suddenly stood up and told me we were leaving. Stunned, I got up and dragged my feet to follow him out. In an effort to get him to come back in, the salesman chased after my father and grabbed his arm from behind. Built differently than me, 5'11", 220, think Fred Flintstone stocky, my father whipped around and gave him a death stare that caused the reasonably fit guy in his mid-20s to literally jump backwards. The entire 15-minute car ride home was in complete silence, without even the radio on. I dared not say a word after the look he had given. My father was a man of few words and not known for offering pearls of wisdom, but just after he parked the car in the garage, he looked at me and bestowed upon me life advice that still guides me to this day. He said... Don't ever make an important decision in life with a heart on. <laughs> then, without another word, he got out of the car and walked inside the house. <laughs> That's like chicken soup. One of the chicken soup books or something. It's <laughs> great. Yeah, I mean, it's so good. Is it stolen from something else? I, I don't know. I don't know. We get a lot of guys checking in on the... <laughs> 
this guy's worried about the logo. Hey, I'm coming to you as a huge fan, not a hater. So don't take this as a, uh, I imagine he means dig to the show. A lot. I know you have a lot more going on, but I'm OCD and notice this stupid shit. The album artwork on your podcast, your animated face is off center. It's closer to the left. Tell the bringer to get their money back. Look, we're, we're well aware. I never cared. Mr. Brand Manager over here is probably the worst uh, personal branding of himself of all time. Um, I, I just never really cared, and now it's kind of our thing. So that's kind of what we're what we're doing with it now. So is everybody okay with that? I'll put in another uh, note. I'll drop another, <laughs> I'll drop another line, but we'll see. All right, six two two thirty. Um, do you think I'm more of a box safety or coverage linebacker? I don't know. Two thirty safety that's almost big now less importantly my relationship of four years is on the rocks i'm 26 making great money more importantly i love what i do on the other hand my girlfriend is also 26 while she makes good money she hates her job and has let it totally consume her for the entirety of quarantine it's got to the point where she's cussing out her computer while i'm on calls with clients who look stunned since they can hear her. that's not great i've asked her to tone it down but I don't want to be demeaning since she's already on edge as is because of work. Uh, a couple of years ago, my uncle asked, what's stopping you from proposing? And I told him that I wanted to see how we got along after we both finished up grad school. Turns out I'm Nostradamus because she's become a tyrant <laughs> here in quarantine and sucked the life out of our house. No need for details to give my situation away. But the other day she said she, we should find our own apartments in the city to live, but stay together. I wish I could get married to somebody that would be like, hey, I think we just get our own places. Like, fucking awesome. I designed a house, I think, in junior high that was two houses with a hallway connecting it. My dad was like, what's that? Because I used to have this weird architecture phase. I was like, I just think it'd be cool to have like two houses in one. He laughed. Um, this is me talking, not the emailer. All right, so is it any shot this works given we've lived together for two and a half years and this seems like a massive regression in our relationship or is that her easing into a breakup? Thanks, guys. Love the show. And while you shouldn't have read this next part on air, um, <laughs> he just, okay, he doesn't like a quarterback that I don't like and he strongly, strongly agrees. I'm not going to name the quarterback. You probably figured it out, but let's just say I was very early on this and I was right. Um, yeah, you're definitely breaking up. Right. I mean, there's there's no who is dating, lives together two and a half years and then says, hey, let's stay together. I mean, I don't know. Guys are different. People are different about breaking up. You know, it's. It's nice that people care about other people's feelings. When they break up and we'll get millions of emails and it's a very similar pattern. Hey, I'm dating this person. I'm not super new, but I'm worried when I break up with her you know, she's going to feel terrible. Or if I dump him, he's going to be super depressed and all these different things. You're like, yeah, look, there's usually always somebody in the relationships that's kind of calling the shots. Like you can call it some sort of compromise, but there's, there's always, you know, there's a Brandon Ingram from every Zion. And this is different because I'd yeah. like Zion to be the number one option, but uh, every one of us that are in these relationships, there's always somebody that's kind of calling the shot more so than the other person is. So, um, you sound like you don't like her, and if she wants to stay together, I think this, I think she's doing you a huge favor, right? Maybe, maybe she's trying to Jedi mind trick you into doing the dirty work of breaking up by suggesting something so ludicrous that you would break up. And this could actually be like the great compromise. Yeah. Kyle with the wisdom again, because there's, there's other times too, when you're so wrapped up in your own deal. And I think you got to be a little bit more, I mean, there's like peak narcissism, and then there's just straight egomaniac, which I think is a little bit below that. And then there's there's heavy ego, 
where you keep thinking about every decision and how it just directly relates to you, how everything is about you. And and I mean, this guy's not even doing this, by the way, but in the breakups, you're like, well, if I do this, then she, she, you know, and all this stuff. I'm like, how do you know that she doesn't want to end it as well? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, sometimes it could be a real mind-blowing exercise to go, wait, what if I'm reading all of this wrong and the other person isn't into me? What if what if there are things that I'm doing that aren't great? Um, and it's kind of hard for any of us to do that. You know, some of us are just completely oblivious and blind to ever <laughs> going through that kind of exercise. And then others think about it way too much. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure where the meter needs to be for that to work out perfectly, but you've already said she's kind of freaking out. Um, and the fact she's complaining about her job all the time sucks. I was a guy that complained about his job all the time in a relationship. And I look back and I regret it. You know, I had a stretch early to ESPN. I was really unhappy. I thought I was being treated unfairly. Uh, there are certain things that were completely unfair. And I complained to my girlfriend about it all the time. And looking back, you're like, what a waste of time. It didn't solve anything. It was completely wasted energy, wasted effort. And, you know, she ended up kind of getting sick of you a little bit, dude. So in this case, you haven't proposed. You want to see how they get along after grads. It, it does seem like you're going in reverse, but I think you almost want to go in reverse. But who knows? Maybe it's, you know, it also could be something real simple. You need a break. You still care about each other. You stay together. We're coming out of this quarantine here. What did we hear the other day? Barbecue, small gatherings, July 4th. That seems reasonable. Um, I, think, I, think, I think people are going to be outside in bigger gatherings before then sooner. But uh, yeah, I, I don't. I don't think this is a huge deal. I, I don't think that's a, that's a big deal. Who knows? There could be a positive on this whole deal. One more here. I've contemplated writing this for a while. Longtime listener, um, 33. He says we have a lot in common. He's 33, 63, 235, athletic. I don't know, dude. A little bigger than I am. Well, I'm up to 231 <laughs> the other day. So I don't know if that's good or bad. Uh, I grew up in Queens, single mother. Didn't have much financially, bounced around a bunch of jobs, not a lot to fall back on, but always believed in the value of hard work. I got into the gym. I got into the gym in my early 20s after losing my mom. Sorry to hear that. As I learned how to cook healthy food for myself, I turned into a meal prep business. Okay. That grew. Now, a few years later, healthy meals were a catalyst to open my own restaurant. I'm currently building my second brick and mortar location, just added a food truck. Long story short, after a ton of bullshit and hard work, it's starting to pay off. Problem is, I'm 33 and single. I've been single mostly by choice. I feel like I'm in a mix between hopeless romantic and pays for premium Tinder. Kyle, there's a premium Tinder? Uh, yes, there is. What's that all about? It's kind of like, um, you ever play Candy Crush or like I'm an old school guy who plays um, Jewel Quest and it's like, hey, you can get the keys that gives you the special gems that gives you extra lives um, if you just pay $5.99. So it's like, it's all the app things where it's just like, just get you know, hook up your credit card right. here and, and pay for some uh, a nicer experience. Hmm, that's weird. The can you were losing me in the beginning of the Candy Crush, and then it started to make sense. So there's just they put different access to different girls behind a paywall, or just a number. No, I think like, is there a number that you can swipe or something, and then it expires? Is that how Tinder works? That's correct. Know. Yeah, you only get so many uh, in a oh, certain amount, right. amount of time. So I think I don't know if you get unlimited or you just it doubles your number and then. There's a whole another thing called super likes, which I think's like puts you to the front of the line if you like somebody that you know you got no shot with. So I, I think it's just <laughs> like you could probably win the Tinder game if you are paying. I, I don't even know. It probably would be more than five ninety nine. It's probably a real price to pay. You win the Tinder game and meet somebody who's really bummed out. <laughs> very shortly after all right so our guy says he's full of shit when it comes to girls but there's been this one 
somewhat constant. Um, I dated a girl on and off for three years. She's beautiful, funny, calls me out of my shit. Problem is, it's a big one. She has a drug problem. Started with cocaine, is now turning to Xanax dependency. She mixes pills with alcohol while claiming her anxiety is bad. I've never been a drug guy, uh, never even experimented with it. Anytime I attempt to leave for good, she'll tell me I need to stick by her side. Uh, all this is to ask is what should I do? What do I do? I'm having trouble walking away for good from this girl for whatever reason. Also starting to think as I enter my mid-30s that I may never get married due to an obsession with my career and the fact that when I'm single, uh, away from the one girl, I could still be a pig sometimes. Okay. Uh, not sure if this... Not sure if the one girl is in the back of my head and the reason I mess up any other attempts at a relationship or if it's something different. I know how um, successful you've become. Oh, oh, this is a compliment to me. Becoming focused on your work. was wondering if you share anything relevant to my situation. Should I try to make this one girl work and pray she gets her shit together, seek out new women over time in a healthier way, or just come to the grips of the fact that I may never get married and just enjoy everything life has given me? Sorry for the rant. Appreciate you. Okay. No, um, said some really nice things in there, and this is a little bit more complicated than I'm probably comfortable with on the drug use part of it. Um, we've had some people reach out and maybe I'll hit up on it. Like, Hey, we, we have a friend who's an alcoholic. Like, what do we do? What do we do? Has this ever happened to you? Look, we had one friend that was a mess and we were guys and we were younger. We didn't really know how to handle it. And looking back, we've handled it differently. We could have, we definitely could have handled it differently. We could say, Hey, we're not going to go out with you anymore because then whenever anything happened, he would be like, well, you stayed out late or you got shit faced together. You know what I mean? And it was kind of like, yeah. And then, you know, and then we went back to work and got our shit together. Like we didn't, we didn't wake up in a hotel in Winooski on a Tuesday. All right, man. So hotel jokes aside, um, the thing is, is I don't know the relationship all that well from the outside and from the surface. I mean, anybody, a lot of times you could do this. You can explain your situation as if you're someone is explaining to you for the first time. You'd be like, Hey, do you want to be with somebody that's dependent on something? Okay. And yeah, I've been around to people that like, Hey, I'm going to take the edge off and then taking the edge off is every single day and you're kind of like all right well this is kind of your deal and even though it's a little functional it's it's your deal and it's your deal all the time like every day you just kind of need a little something um to wind you down at the end of the night but that's you know once you start doing it all the time then you're going to start looking for it all the time so let's focus on the bigger stuff here the easiest thing i can say is you're 33 relax all right totally relaxed on the whole thing of like hey i'm going to be by myself all the time i know i'm by myself all the time I've come to the realization that I probably like it better. I'm not saying it's for everyone. It isn't. I'm not even telling you it's great all the time, but I know why I am the way that I am. All right. My whole philosophy on being full of shit in your twenties, thinking, you know, who you are in your thirties and in your forties, you're like, ah, this is who I am. I'm accepting it. And it's actually kind of a relief because you stop worrying about it all the time. I don't know what's going to happen with me. I'm not determined to be by myself the rest of my life, but I'm kind of accepting of it if that's what happens. And I don't really think that should be for most people. I don't know that it's super healthy. Um, and I think there's a sadness to it too. If you end up by yourself, like really all by yourself and you know, you get a little bit older and you know, sometimes I'll see an old guy like I think I've done this before, so I don't want to be super repetitive, but you'll see an old guy like sitting at a, at a bar eating food by himself. And you're like, shit, is that going to be me in like 75? You know, maybe his wife died or maybe he's got an awesome family. The guy just wanted to watch a Cardinals game by himself at a bar and have a piece of chicken parm. And I shouldn't feel sad for him. You know what I'm saying? So you start projecting all these different things on different people. Um, you're 33. You're 33. It sounds like you're in great shape. It sounds like you work hard. It sounds like you've been successful. You're likely going to meet someone that you vibe with. All right. But if you're determined to never meet anybody, then you never will. So ask yourself this question. Like, I was all about the job because I didn't feel like I could ever, ever let anything else get in the decision of me either walking away at any point 
or changing my mind or doing what I did a couple of years ago. I was like, hey, look, I'm out of here. If I were married, family, whole deal, I wouldn't have left ESPN. Um, I always want the flexibility to be able to do that, but that also means that I've, I've, I've cut out other things in my life that it's probably not that smart to have done, but I just did it. I don't know. I just did it. And like I said, one of my friends who pulled me aside was like, look, don't you think you'd love to share this journey with somebody else? I was like, man, that's a really good point. No. So <laughs> don't be determined to be alone. And that's kind of what you're, you're almost hinting at here a little bit. You're 33. You're screwing around a little bit. You're not the only guy in the country doing it, man. Um, maybe you need to get out of your system and maybe this will go on for a bunch of more years. I don't really know, but stressing yourself out about what the future is going to be when you're this young is a waste of time. Getting on your case or feeling guilty about seeing multiple people, um, I really wouldn't do it because, you know, it's also an egotistical thing that men are the only ones doing this stuff. Okay. Women are doing it too. And as far as signing up for somebody that has a dependency that you've been on and off again for three years, I mean, you could approach her about it, but you don't know how people are going to handle that. I mean, it could be, Hey, yeah, you're right. Thanks for saying it. And then you have this connection that you never thought you would have. That's one scenario. Number two is, Hey, you're right. That's great. And then she super resents you and doesn't admit it to you. And then doesn't change your behavior whatsoever. And then there's option one, or I guess three would be this case. She goes nuts on you, calls you out for stuff and is in a massive denial and says that you're overreacting about the whole thing. Again, I don't know which way that's going to go, but if you're focused on work and it sounds like you do want to find somebody, even though you're by yourself all the time, you know, signing up for that and you're not married to her feels a bit like a burden to take on that maybe you don't need right now. Okay. Sorry, Kyle. Did you want to get in on that? No, no. I was, I just said work. That's it. Just said word. Saruti, anything to add? Uh, you know what, Saruti? First day back, let's just take it easy on you. Let's sit this one out. Yep. Especially that okay. heavy one at the end. Yeah, that was a little heavier. All right. So Friday, Bruce Feldman, incredible mock draft. He's got intel on all the players from coaches in college and the NFL and stuff that he's hearing. And then Shep Rose from Southern Charm, Bravo alert. I'm not a huge Southern Charm guy. I'm not a huge Bravo guy other than I love Andy Cohen and I love Below Deck. I'm off the housewife stuff, but I met Shep and I know you guys are probably shocked that we hit it off, um, but he's got a book out. So we're going to talk to him on Friday. So please subscribe, let everybody know how you feel about Saruti and the fact that yes. Hey, did you know, Kyle, that Greeny had a nickname for Saruti? He has nicknames for everybody. Do you want to guess what his was? <laughs> what are we doing? Right now? I think I'll be able to guess. Probably not. Roots. <laughs> nice. It was terrible. Yeah, we kept well, it on the DL because that's that's about as bad as it comes. Uh, love Greeny, good dude, but you know, just not a great nickname guy, to be honest with you. But uh, no, so we, bad, bad at it, bad at it. Good at teases, I remember, but bad at nicknames. Great at teases. <laughs> Coming up next, my five worst nicknames and what it means for the Jets. All right, we'll be back on Friday. Please subscribe. Thanks. <laughs>